This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys. Are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. (laughs) You jumped up and... Austin Nace, who is going to be that guy. And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time, Fields on the carry. Watch out. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Vernon, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Got to get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Got to continue. I got to Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Uh, our apologies for Kirk Street and Atlanta. Time will get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone better than Mountain Time. That means it's time for the Deputy Debate, brought to you by Camps10.com. Austin Nace and Felix Sharp here with you tonight on a buffed-up version of tonight's show. Who are some players we're adding to our rankings? We checked the panic meter at Ohio State and Texas, and some very prominent names in college football might get hit with the overrated label tonight. But, Austin, I want to start with this. I want to start with Deion Sanders. Not necessarily the game, but the economy of Coach Prime. Now, the reason why I want to start with this, and I know that he's not here tonight, but on the Better Sports Show, I talked about the economic impact that Deion Sanders would have coming to Colorado. I thought that this was just intuitive, but I was mocked, ridiculed, teased, and made fun of because the Boulder, Colorado economy is already the medium home price is just under a million dollars. That's true. However, let's look at the numbers. Sportico um, posted a article earlier this week. Deion Sanders fi- signed a five-year deal for $29.5 million. Rick George, Colorado's athletic director at the time, said, we don't have the money, but we believe that we will get it. In 2022, last year, before Coach Prime was there, the Buff Club, which is the fundraising arm for Colorado, raised $22 million in all of 2022. To this point in 2023, the season hadn't even really started yet. They've raised twenty-eight over $28 million, close to $29 million. He has almost paid his own contract, the entire five-year deal with one year, uh, in Colorado, and I think that this article was posted before the win. We know that things are going to get crazy thereafter. Merchandise sales up 500% in the first month since Deion Sanders took over as head coach. Season tickets for the entire year in 2022, uh, $222 for the entire year. You can get season tickets. One ticket to the home opener against Nebraska, the cheapest ticket, $476. You can't get a hotel in Boulder. You can't get a restaurant reservation. I guarantee you on Friday and Saturday night, Uber prices will be surging in Colorado. Vendors will be on the street selling knockoff merchandise. The closest Airbnbs to Folsom Field are renting 
The only ones that are available, mind you, the only ones that are available are renting between $700 and $1,000 a night for this weekend. I thought that this was counterintuitive, but it is evident that there is a real impact that Deion Sanders is having, not just on the field, but off the field, he is worth it also. I just wanted to throw that out there. I wish Chris was here to defend himself because I was laughed at. But it is obvious that the impact here is more than just between the lines of scrimmage. If I'm a restaurant owner in Boulder, Colorado, if I'm a property owner in Boulder, Colorado, I'm very, very happy about what's going on uh, with the football program. Um, Austin, comment on either this or the game on Saturday or uh, anything Colorado-related, your observations. At a press conference this week, it made some news because Dion, uh, I found out later it was Ed Werder had asked a question or attempted to ask a question at his press conference and uh, kind of got a very mixed reaction when Dion said, you know, I read what you wrote. Do you believe? Do you believe now? And Ed you don't Werder, believe. Next question. I couldn't, I couldn't really hear what he was saying, but I'm assuming he either said no or like tried to spell out some other answer that was not yes, which is what Dion wanted to hear. Call me Ed Werder. Because I do not believe, do not believe in this Colorado team. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. You can call me a hater. You can call me whatever else you want to call me. I think we're we're putting the cart ahead of the horse here, team. I think it is more likely that TCU is really bad than Colorado is good. The way that they were beating TCU this weekend. Now, granted, I think they're they. They can cause some issues with their team speed on offense. And I think we underestimated that a little bit with Horn and Weaver. And uh, I don't think anybody expected Travis Hunter to play 120 snaps uh, and and uh, Dylan Edwards and all these guys. I, they gave TCU problems. I think a better setup defense, a more talented defense, a more athletic defense, I still think is going to give them a lot of issues. And don't forget, I think TCU could have, should have, would have, Shout out to Colorado for winning this game when none of us thought they could, could even cover. If Chandler Morris doesn't throw that first interception in the red zone, I'm very interested to see how this game goes. Cause I think Colorado, I think they're really going to struggle if they get behind in games. I think they have to be attack, attack, attack. And if they get behind, I think they're in trouble. So I'm interested to see what happens with Nebraska this week. It would not shock me at all if Nebraska beats him by a touchdown 10 points. Because I think they have tape now. They know what's coming. They can't be any less athletic than that TCU defense was. I'm really interested to see. If they win this week convincingly, I'm not talking like three points, I will probably be buying into Colorado at that point. But as of today, with the little information that we have, I am not a believer. I want to say this because I agree with a team that is – this newly formed, I would expect when they faced adversity to fall apart. But in the second half of that game against TCU, they had several opportunities to fall apart and did not, defensively and offensively. I think that's just an indication of a good, a well-coached team. And as much as Deion Sanders is about the flash and all of that stuff, we thought the coordinator's hires were substantive. Uh, Sean Lewis charged Charles Kelly from Alabama – we thought that they were great coordinator hires, and TC or in and in, in the first half, Colorado was breaking tackles in the secondary. The secondary could not uh, tackle them, and then defensively, or in and they were blocking downfield. The wide receivers were blocking downfield, which is what was springing Dylan Edwards for these touchdowns. I mean, they were winning on in blocking and tackling. Those are the like the fundamental aspects of the game, which you have to give and lend to coaching. I think the, the team total over-under started at what, like five and a half or something like that, and then came down to three and a half? If you were betting in three and a half and the under on three and a half, you had TCU as a loss. You had Nebraska as a loss. Nebraska scored what, 10 points? I don't see how their offense, how they get – I think that Colorado is going to be able to score 28 points at home. You got the big noon kickoff is there. Not just the big, everybody's going to be there. I guarantee you they're going to be celebrities at this game, including yours truly. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> they're going to win this game. They're going to win this game. Nebraska started off as what a touchdown favorite. Now, Nebraska, now, now Colorado is favored by a field goal. I think that they're going to win this game. I don't think that Nebraska is going to be able to score with them. And we're starting off 2 and 0, a Colorado 2 and 0 team. They got to get two more games on that schedule to hit the over on that three and a half. Still got Arizona State on the schedule. Still got Stanford on the schedule. You, I mean, you know, the teams that now seem unbeatable, still going to be a tough time with Utah, still going to be a tough time with USC, still going to be a tough time with Oregon. But after Nebraska, they get Colorado State. If they beat Nebraska, they're going to be undefeated because they're going to beat Colorado State. I I don't know. I mean, I was right there with you, Austin, taking the under, but they have momentum on their side, and they're, they might be able to ride it for two weeks here. It, that that's a that's a fair point. The momentum might work out early in the season until something happens, and then we'll see. Because Dion did say that this weekend too. He said something about which, I mean, with a guy like Dion, you don't know what he's saying, like whether it's bullshit or whether it's true. I I honestly don't know if the story is true. Uh, but that's the beauty of a, a guy like Dion, where he said that you know the players were coming up after, at, coming up to him after the game and telling him that they finally believed. Like. Okay, I don't know if that, but the players will start believing if you're two and zero, three and zero, and he's been sitting there all offseason telling you if you do it my way, we're going to be good. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me actually was the offensive line, and that's really what I'm interested in. If that offensive line, they can't run block at all, but they gave they gave uh, a Shador a pretty good amount of time for the majority. He got sacked a couple times, but they kept him pretty clean, and he's. Contrary to some of the things I see out there, he is not a good athlete at all, Shador. He labors when he runs. You can compare to other guys out there. You can see it. So I think if they can keep him clean, I, I think that you know they'll have. They'll He's have a, a his shot. dad was a cornerback, but he is very much a pocket passer. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That that I think there's a question about Shador after this game. Five hundred yards passing, four receivers, four pass catchers was over a hundred yards receiving in, in a, a running back of course Dylan Edwards with over 100 yards receiving is he an NFL quarterback and I'm just gonna I don't want you to take all the heat yeah, take today I'm going to do this I don't think there was anything that I saw on Saturday that led me to think Shador Sanders oh he is a NFL franchise guy a lot of that system offensively was dink and dunk for the most part and then when he had the opportunity to attack the ball attack the field deep with uh, Travis Hunter, he did so. One of those passes, some of those passes bounced off of receivers' hands. But when I look at NFL quarterbacks, I like mobility in the pocket. I like some of those lasers that are travel, you know, 15 to 17 yards down the field and don't go anywhere between, you know, seven and 12 yards off the ground. I didn't see any of those. He wasn't asked to make those. I don't see him as a player, as a player who has a laser arm great mobility he is a good college quarterback which is fine I am not putting him in the first round as much as I I think I'm on board with what this team is doing I think that there's a chance they could go bowling the NFL players on this team right now are Travis Hunter at either cornerback or wide receiver I am not buying Shadur as really anything more than a CFF value um, for our Camps Canton Leagues, for our Debbie Leagues. If I'm in a Debbie League and I have, you know, five taxi squad spots, I'm this is not a player that I'm rostering. I'm, what, I'm, what would I get you the sell him for you today? What would you, if you had him today, what would you sell him for in a Debbie League? Um, In a Debbie League, I mean, if I could get, anytime I can take a, what about, what about Kyler Murray? Could you get Kyler Murray for Shador's, Sanders, I would take that in a heartbeat. Might have to add a I little take bit. That in a heartbeat I would do that. In a Debbie yeah. League in a campus to Canton League. I mean, I would. I I'm. <laughs> I might be trading him for some high end supplemental draft picks because I think that I can get that production, that CFF production elsewhere. I don't think he's going to throw for 500 yards every single week. Um, what would you? What would you trade? What would you trade for him? Yeah, I'd probably try to trade him up into an NFL quarterback in some fashion. I think there's got to be some believer out there in your league, even if it's only, only quote unquote, 
you know, Kirk Cousins. If I can get a Kirk Cousins kind of guy uh, for him in a Debbie league, I, I think I'm I'm all aboard that train. Because realistically, isn't that kind of what you're hoping that Shador turns into? Like you just say, he doesn't have a laser arm. He's not going to be really be a rushing threat at all in the NFL. Probably have to protect him a little bit. Um, you know, it, that, that might be the best case scenario. I've, I saw people throwing around like, you know, Tom Brady made a career out of Dinkin and Duncan this weekend. It's like, that was 25, 30 years ago. And he was given the latitude to do that. There's a reason you don't really see guys come in and do that right now in the NFL immediately. It's just really, really difficult. But I mean, it was, I don't want to underestimate the fact that he came in there in an off season, apparently probably mastered that playbook and was able to, you know, put that game plan into action. Like, I mean, I'm not going to make fun of him for it, but yeah, I didn't. I, the second half, there there were a couple of throws that I really, really liked downfield, but they were also throws that I think I would expect a legitimate NFL draft prospect to make. Kind of like that JJ McCarthy throw that's floating around this weekend. Um, that 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 touchdown pass that he threw. The, uh, they made they played against a lot of off coverage. I would be interested to see. Um, if they play a team that's going to go up to the line of scrimmage and not give them so many gimmies and can get a pass rush, I think that that, that is the team that will be a good Utah. matchup for Utah. Colorado. Play Utah. press man. Yeah. 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 Um, Dylan Edwards, we haven't talked about him yet. If you don't have him <laughs> rostered already, one, are you spending a waiver pick to go get him? And if you have him rostered already, is this somebody that you're starting moving forward? Don't think you can start him. He only played, I believe, 35-ish percent of the snaps uh, this week, as I detailed uh, on one of our, our shows this week over at, at C2C. Um, man, I, I'm not starting him, and I think... I mean, this game was like... He might not score more fantasy points in this ever in his career, right? This this might be the best Dylan Edwards game we ever get for fantasy. Five catches, 135 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, ridiculous. Um, I think until he shows that he can rush a little bit, I still think the value is a little capped. You know, it, it, until the team shows they can run a little bit, but but him specifically, I, I think, you know, at best you're getting like a college scat back. Most NFL scatbacks were the guy in college, and then they turned into scatbacks in the NFL because they just were 195 pounds or whatever. He's 170. I mean, I think that's going to be a difficult thing for anything he, beyond the next few years. He's not much smaller than Marquez Cooper. And Marquez Cooper is what, RB1, RB2, and CFF for Kent State, for Sean Lewis. You know, a similar Mac, size though, right? player. It, yes, it was, it was the Mac, but we saw production in week one, which was, you know, they're running up and down the field. So... Sean Lewis has had similar productivity with a similar style player. I don't think it's unreasonable. I'm, I wouldn't start him myself, but I don't think this is a player. Oh, I have him on the, my roster. Let me now trade him at his peak unless I can get, you know, some sort of ridiculous offer. I think that he's a player that you hold and you wait to see if they're going. First of all, he has to get more carries. Can he be as consistent in the passing game? And then I'll wait a couple of weeks, and then I might start him. But for the running back position, I want to see them get carries. And he only – he had, what, 40 yards on the ground or something like that. You're not going to get 100 yards receiving every single week um, from your from your running back. Especially with Alton McCaskill, who didn't play in this game. Um, it, it, that's another good point. They want to be their leading rusher. Would you, yeah. Here's a bigger question for you. Would you start Travis Hunter this week? So I think I would at wide receiver because I they're going to want to keep this momentum going. And I don't think that they start saving him until they play Colorado State. Until they play – I think Colorado State is really the only cupcake on their, <laughs> on their schedule. You look at it, maybe – yeah, I mean, yeah, it is, it is the only what I would say cupcake on their schedule. I don't think that this is the week that they start resting him. He's going to get targeted. And if that offensive line can't run block, Shador Sanders is going to throw the ball another 50 times a game. Travis Hunter is a red zone threat. He had a touchdown catch called back. He's going to be a red zone threat for them. They're going to throw fades. To, they can throw fades to him uh, in the red zone. They already have. And he might get 15 targets. So, yeah, I would I would start him. Would you start him? I don't. Would you start – 
Travis Hunter or Keon Coleman? Hunter, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what the line would be. I I'm just ner I but I think you may you raised a good point there. You know, maybe they'll save him in week three and kind of go go hard week one and two here with him in terms of snaps. He can't. We are going to keep saying we can't, he can't, and maybe Dion's going to keep proving us wrong. He can't play that many snaps every game, right? Like maybe he is I don't just know built different. I, I don't think you can. I don't know why he can't. Most of these guys in high school played the entire game. Different so, like intensity and skill level. Though. I understand. I don't, know. I, mean, I don't know. I understand. I don't know. The re- I think the reason more players don't play both sides of the ball is because there are so many like meetings for position groups. Like if you don't know this in college and the NFL, there is a linebackers meeting. There is a secondary meeting. There is a defensive line meeting on the offensive side of ball. The quarterbacks have separate meetings, the running backs, the offensive line, the wide receivers. And then there's a, an entire, their team, like he doesn't have the ability. Most players, most players aren't good enough where we say, okay, you can miss this week's defensive meetings and just go be with the offense and still play both sides of the ball on Saturday. I think that that's the reason why we don't see more players play both sides of the ball as a preparation issue. It's kind of works for a guy like Travis Hunter. We're going to play cover two, cover three, man quarters. You know, I mean, as a, as a cornerback, you might need to know who's blitzing uh, on a down to down basis so that you know, if the ball is coming out hot, but somebody, can t- yeah. We're sending five this time. We're sending six. You got man. You got quarters. Cover two. It actually makes – I think it would be harder if this was a middle linebacker or, you know, somebody who had more responsibility for what the defense is doing overall. But for a cornerback, most of the time, you're going to have one of five or six assignments in coverage. And Travis Hunter can play man-to-man defense all day. You <laughs> just got to tell him. You got that dude. On uh, you got Malachi Coleman, who didn't play last week, by the way. I think he was he, he was injured for uh, a big part of camp, and he was not an early enrollee. So I think that was expected for anybody worrying about that. Uh, we appreciate you if you're watching live. Go ahead and drop that like button. It really helps us. We're trying to get to two thousand subscribers here on YouTube as soon as we can. I think we can do that during the football season. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, and drop a comment in the chat box, whether you're watching live or later on. Tell us if you like the show. If you are a Campus to Can subscriber, if you are an NAL subscriber, we have a podcast feed specifically for you, including Matt Waldman, Michael Nelson. Austin has his own show uh, there on the collective podcast feed. Matt Waldman this week talking about the aforementioned Keon Coleman and these big-bodied possession wide receivers. Does Keon Coleman have a future in the NFL as an alpha? You can hear Matt Waldman's answer on the collective. Uh, you just recorded with Nelly. What are you guys talking about this week? Talking about early season waiver strategy and how to know when to uh, sell, be, be a seller or a buyer at what point in the season you're, you're making some of those decisions and to what extent you're making them this early after one week. There we go. NIL subscribers, all 22 subscribers, you get projected spreads, depth charts, Offense and defense for all 133 FBF te- FBS teams that are updated regularly. It's not like we sit stagnant. Those are updated regularly. Um, what else do you get with the all 22? Oh, returning production. There's so there's so much. I need to create a thread on everything that it is that we offer. Uh, thank you, Trevor, in the in the comments. He says he loves the show. Really gets to watch us live. We appreciate that, Trevor. Um, to the tailgate. Saturday mornings. I am so mad that I'm not going to be on this week. I might have to call into the show. By the way, the audience has been outstanding on Saturday morning. I think that this is the best year that we've had on Saturday morning. It's probably because Better Sports is producing the show. We have commercial breaks. We have music. We have real production. And Austin over there is driving the ship. That's what makes the show the show. So join us on Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern time to 12 for the tailgate on Saturday morning. We want you to spend your Saturday mornings with us. And I made one last housekeeping item. I think two weeks ago, I said for any new rate and review on Apple Podcast, 
one of those people would get a free month to everything we have to offer at campusdecan.com. And then guess how many rates and reviews that we got? None. Now, we did get some rates because I saw that number go up, but they did not include the review. I'm going to do this one more week. One more week. If you are a new, if you're newly listening to us and you want to check out everything we have to offer at campusdecan.com, leave a five-star rate. That's important, but also a written review. And if there's one person, that one person will get the everything we have for a month. Uh, if it's more than one person, we'll pick you know one of the pe- one of the people that leave a rate and review. And how about this, Felix? You were just saying you know you need to make a thread on everything we offer. Not only will we give you everything you we offer, we'll sit down with you if you would like us to and show you everything and how it can be used so that you can maximize that month of usage. There we go. There we go. Including if you're playing prize picks, we have the best the best uh, player prop research um, out there. Prize picks promo code C two C. Austin, let's get into some more games here. Um, Chris Chris Moxley said Chris Moxley said in our chat this weekend. He said it's a good week. It's a good day for Felix. He was mentioning both Ohio State and the Texas uh, quarterback situations there. Let's start with Ohio State, Austin. Uh, Ohio State 23-3 to against Indiana. It was just 10-3 to at the half. Marvin Harrison Jr. went with a, uh, down with an injury here early. They ran three different running backs out there, including Tr- Tranium. I thought he was just an emergency player last year. Like he was still playing linebacker, and they moved him back to running back, back to his Arizona State days. Kyle McCord, 20 20- for 33, 239 yards, one interception, no touchdowns. Oh, by the way, yes, it was a close battle. Did they, did they let Devin Brown play? Yes. One series, two handoffs, a quarterback draw where uh, the offensive line gets blown up in the backfield. That was it for him. That was unfair. That's a story for another day. But Austin, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being hair on fire and 1 being, uh, it's cool. How panicked should Ohio State fans be about their team offensively? Yeah, I don't want to dial too much into Kyle McCord specifically in terms of just because I put him on that NIL show this week. I don't want to be giving away state secrets here. Um, if you're an NIL member, go listen to that. Um, I, I I do think it's a little concerning. I do think it's a little concerning. It didn't seem like any of it was clicking. Except for Kate Stover down the seam, which is not that's that's like your fifth option at best. You you that's not what you want to be relying on. I think they could. I, I don't want to overreact to one week, but I do think they they could be in some trouble if they can't figure out the quarterback position. Um, because oh. interesting. I don't know. I mean, what ten to three and a half against Indiana? Struggle to extend drives. Struggle to push the ball downfield. Oh, I don't know. What do you think? And it's funny because I know a player that can push the ball downfield and be more explosive. It's it's crazy. I'm not in practice, and I know that there's a player that can do that. Devin Brown, and apparently he was playing well in practice, well enough for that quarterback battle to be drawn out as long as it did. I, On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably a 1 because I think that this team is going to get figured out, and quite frankly, the competition in the Big Ten isn't so that you can't get the – you can't – wait a couple of weeks to get this figured out while still probably winning some ugly games. Let's not forget they have trip train them. They have Mayan Williams there. If they want to play ugly football, they can do that and, and probably still win most of the time. We're used to seeing this offense being a high flying offense for multiple receivers, having over hundred yards receiving. We may not get that here early on. I don't know. Yes, I think that Devin Brown would offer a higher ceiling for this offense. I think Kyle McCord has that potential too once he gets in rhythm. Now, if we remember that first year that C.J. Stroud started, was it Minnesota on the road? It was Minnesota on the road. He played really bad in the first half, first quarter, and everybody was like, oh, Kyle McCord is about to come in. And then he played really good in the second half and then really good thereafter. This might be the same thing except for Kyle McCord's quote-unquote first half of playing poorly might extend, you know, to next week and the week thereafter. They get Youngstown State. They got to get it corrected before when they play Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a very balanced team, and they're going to be able to score. 
but we've seen like you know this offense not hit on all cylinder all cylinders right out of the gate. I think that they can get it corrected, regardless of who the quarterback is. If it's McCord, if it's Devin Brown, I think that there's a chance that they write the ship. Do you agree? I, I think it's more likely than not that they do, uh, or just kind of pivot to something else. Um, which is that something else? Chip Trainum. He looked good this weekend, did he not? I mean, I mean, he looked good at Arizona State, and then he decided he wanted to play linebacker again. So, I don't think uh, that was his choice, for what it's worth. I think he really wanted to go back. He's from Ohio. I think he wanted to go back home, and they said we don't have room at running back for you. Do you want to play linebacker? And now I think he's back at running back. He could be a Ramondre Stevenson. Slim him down a little bit. I think he's a good player. I think he's a really good player. I've been I. I mean, I, I had him rostered in some places. I had I, him rostered as a running back in a lot I of think places. I, I think I cut him everywhere this I past offseason because I didn't want to wait and heal hunger to see if he, he made the transition back. But they look like they really want to use him. He got close to as many carries as the other guys did. And I thought if you want to talk about him and Mayan both kind of competing for like more of a thumper role, I don't think Chip looked worse than Mayan. You know, maybe I don't want to say you looked, you know, better. I don't want to, don't want to hurt your feelings, but I thought he looked at least as good as Mayan Williams did this week. Hurt, okay, hurt my feet. Who gets drafted first, Mayan Williams or Travion Henderson? Man, I am not gonna lie. I'm a little worried about Travion after this week. Oh, a little worried. <laughs> little worried. Would you look at that? Would you look at that? Um, Matthew and I did a video on Tra- on Travion Henderson, a cut-up, that got taken down, I think, for copyright. But we had talked about this for like 20 minutes or maybe 25 minutes, a video that nobody got to see because it was taken down for some reason. Couldn't figure out why. But um, Matt, speaking of the, the collective podcast feed, last week's episode, Matt Waldman talked everything about Travion Henderson. I don't want to give the goods on that but it is an excellent episode. And as far as how you should be approaching Travion Henderson, he gives the details on that too. So if you're an NIL subscriber and you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and find it. Um, Let's go to Texas here. Texas 37-10 over Rice, 16-3 at the half. Quint Ewers, uh, 19 for 33 touchdowns, just 8.7 yards per attempt. He did not complete a pass that traveled over 20 yards through the air. He attempted six passes over 20 yards and completed none of them. And this is very much consistent with all you Texas fans jumping in my face on that video that Matthew and I did talking about how great Quinn Ewers was. And I sh- and he was not accurate <laughs> deep. He was not accurate deep, which is a – for – Quint Ewers to be as hyped as he was, you would think that he would be able to hit open receivers, especially when one of those guys is a speed threat like Xavier Worthy. Austin, your thoughts on well, – I, wait, I didn't frame the question right. Um, scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being hair on fire and 1 being uh, – it's cool. How panicked should the 40-acre faithful be about uh, their Texas Longhorns? Uh, see, I thought you were going to say I didn't frame the question in a way to get the answer that I wanted out of you, um, Mr. Mr. Lawyer over here. Um, so I also talked about Quinn Ewers this week, but I'm not I, I'll go a little more in depth on him than I was willing to do on the court. Um, so yours, when they were just giving him three step drops was actually really, really good. Was really, really good in this game. Um, complete command of the offense could find you know, looked accurate. Ball placement was great on time. I think I agree. Like, I think he's not been good throwing the ball deep. And this, this is why I'm skeptical of anything the PFF puts out from a grading perspective. If you go and look at the PFF grades on Quinn Ewers throwing deep, they are excellent. They're excellent. They grade Quinn Ewers as an excellent deep ball passer. And he was not excellent in this game throwing the ball deep. He missed two that I thought he should have had. Uh, another one that looked uh, like wide receiver and him were on the same page. 
whose fault is that? I don't really know. We've seen enough of those with them that maybe I'm starting to wonder if that's Quinn's fault, not reading things correctly or not on those. I, I, I don't know for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I think Sark is sharp enough to uh, realize eventually, like, just let this get the ball out of the guy's hand quick and we can just, we can just chop people apart. They have the athletes to do it. So I am interested to see if that's the turn that that offense makes in the next couple of weeks. I think, I think Sark will, will, will make that, that shift. They kind of did in the second half. I expected some growth from Quinn Ewers because first of all, y'all been telling me how great he is for the last three years. I didn't see growth here in, is it year two as a starter? Year two as a starter. Let me be clear, okay? The next great Quinn Ewers throw that I see will be, in fact, the first. Um, I, I just, I, at this point, he's a game manager. He is a game manager. Now, can you be a game manager and beat Alabama? I, I don't have a good sense for what Alabama looks like against a team that can also score 28 and hold them down defensively and stop the run. Now, remember last year, Texas was great against Alabama defensively, 20, what, 20, to, 20 to 19. It took a fourth quarter drive to win that game. Alabama definitely doesn't have the quarterback who can just lead you down the field with 90 seconds left and win the game for you. But can Alabama out physical Texas? Can Alabama get Quint Ewers to turn the ball over, sack fumble, interception, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I, th- I think though, I think so. How do you size up this game on Saturday, which is, you know, one of the bigger games uh, this entire season? Texas offensive line was really poor this past week against Rice of all teams who – to my knowledge, feel free to correct me. Anybody out there it is not known for their pass rush, does not have a lot of NFL-level uh, defensive linemen on that team. So I'm really interested to see what Alabama can do with them, especially because I thought Texas was supposed to have a good offensive line this year. Like I thought uh, they, they had a lot. They were young last year. They were supposed to get better. So I think I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think Alabama is going to struggle to score with Milrow. I think Texas is going to struggle to score a little bit. Um, and, and to move the ball consistently. Um, I don't, I don't have a, I definitely wouldn't, I don't know what the spread is on this game. I, I haven't looked. I mean, um, I know it was seven. It was Alabama by seven in the off season. I don't know where that line has moved today. Uh, I'm probably I'm not playing that line, yeah. but depending on what the game total is, I might be willing to play the under. Cause I think this could just be a slug. Fest. I agree with you. I think the under might be the play. This, this has the feeling of like a 21, 17, uh, kind of like last year's game. A 21-17 type game, especially if now Quint Ewer's best game um, of his season last year was that quarter and a half or whatever that he played against Alabama. Now, in that game, Xavier Worthy actually did drop a deep touchdown pass that they end up having like to settle a field goal or something like that. Um, that might have been the only time he was accurate deep on these on these deep routes. That's the th- like if that is really the key. Because we know that this Alabama secondary can get beat. We saw it against Tennessee last year. We know that Texas has the horses to get guys behind the defense. It's just if Quint Ewers can if if Quint Ewers can hit two of these long passes and one for a touchdown, that might be the difference in the game. That might be the difference in the game. Um, so we'll see. All right, let's. I think I want to move here to whether or not we're going to give these players an overrated tag. Since we already talked about Quinn Ewers and Kyle McCord, I want to start there, but I want to move on to some of your Clemson wide receivers, actually all three of them. Let's start with McCord and Ewers here. Quinn Ewers, is he overrated, Austin? Probably. I dropped him a handful of spots this week in my rankings. You're you're muted. or no, 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 I'm sorry. No, you're not. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Did, did it delay a little bit? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think he's a little overrated. I dropped him a handful of spots this week. Can I tell you what's happening here behind the scenes? Can we have a look? So I am using a different set of headphones. I'm using my son's headphones. And every time I press the wrong button, like the assistant is coming on and it's talking to me and I cannot hear you. 
That's so I'm thinking that you muted yourself. I can hear you. So did you say he is overrated or is not? Yes, is overrated. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. he is overrated. Oh my goodness. Who's only been saying that for since they were freshmen, since before they were freshmen? Um, yeah, of course. He is overrated. Um, what I saw from his tape in high school was a player that was very well protected and was hitting open receivers, which it doesn't tell me a lot about the player. I've said this a lot. Like clean, very clean pockets, five and six seconds to throw. You got receivers open on deep routes. It's the same thing I saw from Sam Heward's tape, quite frankly, a similar structure. Like I need to see some pressure. I need to see some anticipatory throws. Didn't see any of, the, of those things uh, on Quinn Ewer's tape. And Mike Valerie making fun of me saying, all right, Mr. Carson Strong. Uh, Carson Strong was a good player, had knee injuries. That's the only reason why he fell to the seventh round. By the way, I think that he signed – you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Carson Strong signed like the largest undrafted free agent deal ever. Yeah, and then he got cut. He didn't make it. That, I mean, it, it, I I don't know. It's I feel like that's a hit. You take a G5 quarterback, and he signed the largest undrafted free agent deal ever. Uh, I feel like that's it. Yes, Quinn Ewers is overrated. Uh, Kyle McCord. This hurts because he starts our intro, and uh, of course Matthew's not here. Matthew's the one with with the relationship with the McCords there. Kyle McCord, is he overrated? Also one of the few players that I actively dropped in my rankings this week. Handful of spots, not too much. I already had him pretty close to uh, Devin Brown, um, but I, I moved him down uh, essentially right beside him. Like I just am ranking the QBs at Ohio State together for right now. I moved him down. I know behind Jackson Arnold is one. Um, I can't remember who else, but I moved him down a few spots uh, also. It sounds like you're saying he might be overrated. I don't know that you answered the question. Um, maybe slightly, ever so slightly overrated. I think that this is like a more important question here. I want to talk about Clemson wide, Clemson's wide receiver core. We had high hopes for Adam Randall, athletic freak, you know, six foot three, 220 pounds, over 21 miles per hour. Tore his Achilles came, or, or no, ACL or Achilles? ACL, ACL came came back from it. A size adjusted freak. Antonio Williams, the slot guy there, I actually think he looked fine against, considering everything. I think he, he was fine against uh, Duke. Uh, and then Bo Collins. I don't, I, I want to talk about them collectively. Adam Randall didn't do much. Bo Collins didn't do much. I don't know if it's the offense or them specifically, because when you listen to like the cover three podcast this offseason, summer school about what Clemson was concerned about, it was their wide receiver core. Now we look at their wide receiver core and say they should be fine there. But here in this first game, they weren't. So how do you answer that question? Are these three guys overrated? I mean, we have Antonio Williams in our top eight-ish or so collectively as a company, are those guys overrated? Yeah, it's really tough. I, I don't think Antonio Williams is overrated. I, I don't. I think he's still the only player on this team that can do what he does, and he's the only player right now that fits what this offense wants to do or is capable of doing. I'm, I'm a little confused about that entire Clemson game. And full disclosure, I was recording Campus Life at the same time it was on, so I was watching it, but I was have to pay attention to call and he says so uh didn't didn't catch everything it doesn't look to me like garrett either garrett riley is not being allowed to run the offense that he has previously run or the offensive line is so bad that there's no other offense that can be run here either or which i think as we've talked about a lot in the past especially for a guy like randall hurts these guys that aren't mega separators I think the bigger question mark with Randall and with the staff who I have deep trust issues with is why he only played 29 snaps in this game, but Cole Turner, who apparently plays the same wide receiver position, played 52. Why Bo Collins played 80. Why, and quite frankly, Antonio Browns didn't, Antonio Williams didn't play 80. He only played 61 and he got subbed in with a, another slot guy here. I'm just consistently confused about what this staff is doing, especially with some of these skill guys. So I don't want to say that either of them are rated. I'm just confused 
about what exactly is going on there and what the solution is. What is the solution? I, I don't is I don't want to have a is Dabo done discussion, but like what what is the next solution here? If you finally go out and get another supposed high powered offensive coordinator, you, you you do that and the situation doesn't improve at all. Who, whose fault is it at that point? It didn't improve at all. And if you looked at what Cape Klubnik had, like three or four turnover worthy throws in the first seven minutes or so. And when I say turnover worthy throws, to me, it was like he wasn't understanding the reads that he was supposed to make. Now, a quarterback, a concept will be called in the huddle. They've practiced this in, 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 they would have practiced these plays in, uh, uh, practice the entire week. Like there could be a play where, you know, you only read the boundary corner and make a decision based on where he is or where the safety is. Or on, a lot of times on RPOs, if that linebacker comes up, you're throwing the slant behind the linebackers. Those are the type of the things that you're looking at. So you're not always looking at all 11 players on the field. What I saw from Cade Klubnik was like he wasn't either – he was either not looking in the right place or he was making the wrong decisions despite looking – despite looking in the right place. Those were the type of thing. I'm like, how can you just like, there's somebody standing right there and you just threw it to them. T to me, that's someone who's not yet comfortable. You got to learn the terminology of the offense. You got to know where your, um, your protection is pre-snap. And then once the ball is snapped, you have to make the right decisions and not predetermined. It can take a lot of practice and reps to become fluent in that. Just the language and then the decision-making process. He was not at all comfortable in the decision-making process of the offense on Monday. So for that reason, I have no idea what to make of the wide receiver core because the offense was so completely dysfunctional that it made it hard to tell whether it's the offense or the skill set of those wide receivers. I have no idea. I agree with you. I mean, Antonio Williams was getting the intermediate stuff that you would expect a slot wide receiver to get. And he looked fine. Like in a higher volume offense, he would be a player that had, you know, one of these possession lines where he has eight receptions for 80 something yards, maybe a touchdown or something like that. Um, I don't know what to make of the other two. I just don't. Those are outside guys. Those are boundary guys. And Cade Klubnik didn't th look comfortable throwing the ball out there. Let's see if they get it corrected. Uh, I want to move on here to some new players, Austin, that we have added to our rankings. Some really exciting performances. Um, I'll start here with Deion Burks out of out of Belleville, Michigan, by the way. Belleville, Michigan, at Purdue. He's a third-year player there. I had never heard of Deion Burks. And I see him in this game against Fresno State, and he's bouncing off of corners and looks – he is streaking – after bouncing off of corners, corners streaking down the field um, for touchdowns. This guy, to me, looked sudden, explosive. He reminded me of DJ Moore at – Maryland, how physical he was after the catch. I don't know where, I don't know where, I asked Alan True, I said, where did this dude come from? And he said, I liked him coming out of high school, but he was like, a he's a three-star. This is not a guy with a high pedigree, but we've seen Purdue kind of have these types of players who kind of have a spark in production. David Bell was there. Um, Charlie Jones was there last year. I don't know, Austin, uh, they they keep calling him a freak. I, maybe Deion Burks is the next guy at Purdue. How do you feel about him? Could be, and even if I don't think he's a huge NFL guy, I think uh, Graham Harrell offense with an experienced quarterback, um, as we saw this week, can can do some pretty good damage. I think they can consistently score, you know, 28, 35, 42 points. And if he's the lead guy, I mean, I know Harrell – failed at West Virginia. And so he has, we have a bit of a bad taste in our mouth with him, but at USC, how many guys do you have? Like, it's USC. It's a little different than Purdue, but I mean, Pittman, London, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, Tyler Vaughn's. I mean, he had a bunch of guys putting up a thousand or close to a thousand yard season. So 
wouldn't shock me at all if Deion Burks can do that and can be that guy there for them this year. I thought it would be TJ Sheffield, but I might be wrong. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I picked up Deion Burks in two separate leagues. And and in both of those leagues, he was my priority ad. He looked I wish I would have saw this production maybe his freshman year, maybe last year, but the skill set that I that I saw plucking the ball out of the air having the balance, contact balance after the catch. You don't really describe wide receivers uh, as having contact balance all the time unless you're talking about somebody like DJ Moore or uh, Debo Samuel. And so uh, those things made me hesitant, like the fact that we hadn't seen this earlier. But, I mean, I saw enough reps. I, gotta, I wanted to spend my claim on somebody. I will take a chance on this guy. I took him uh, as a priority ad in two leagues, including one league where you only get one claim each year and I took I took uh Dion Burks. Another where, guy that I where'd you to, put him in where did where'd you put him in your rankings? Did you say I that? don't remember like top 50 or something like that. It's 50, 60, somewhere around there. That's rich. Interesting. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> I mean I have to go look. I don't know the that's I mean, you know we'll see. I mean he can move but he's debuted somewhere around there. It might be 60. I can't remember exactly. I'll I'll wait and see. I'll, I'll see exactly here when I get a second to look. Uh, another player from this game that I added to my rankings is uh, Elijah Gil, Gil, Gillum, Gilliam. I don't know how to say his last name. Gilliam. This is a guy that went to Bishop Gorman in Nevada. He is a, also a third-year player. Um, we thought that it would what be who is it Malik Sherrod, who is mm-hmm. there at Fresno State, who we expected to take over the running back snaps. It was uh, – Elijah Gilliam, and I posted something on Twitter today. Apparently, he doesn't even have a scholarship. He is a walk-on. This guy is two is 5'11", 216 pounds, and he looks 216 pounds. He has some explosiveness. He can catch the ball. He had 92 yards here against Purdue. I'm thinking when I get to uh, Mountain West action, this is the type – this is the physical profile of a player who's going to run through defenses in the Mountain West especially as explosive as Fresno State's offense is. And their running back position has been historically from Ronnie Rivers to uh, for the Jordan Mims last year. Now that's, I think it's going to be Elijah Gill- Gilliam, given that he had 20 carries and the other, the next closest running back had like five or six or something like that. He was the primary running back when they were running the ball. He has NFL size. I don't know that he's the NFL athlete. He's definitely a good enough athlete to dominate mountain west competition did you get to see elijah gilliam at all and were you impressed by his play yeah i watched the whole game i don't want to say that i i wasn't impressed or anything i thought he had a good game um i'm a little he's the guy this year that i'm he's not a priority for me at all and i i am like slightly worried that that ends up coming back to bite me uh in coming weeks that he does end up taking that job but it does sound like uh sherrod rolled an ankle early in the game which opened up a lot of opportunity for him so i am just slightly worried that it's basically a one or two week fling here with him. And then when Sherrod's back, you know, at, at worst, it's a, it's a split and, you know, it might go back to Sherrod. He's a different, Sherrod is a smaller player. Like this he dude is, is he's a different player. And they, but they've, and the thing is you can't even like typecast what back you think they're going to play based on. Um, it's been different because guys. they've, they've used a wide range. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Nims is a little bit taller. Ronnie Rivers is a little bit smaller to the ground. So you're right. I mean, they have it, but, I was surprised. I was surprised to learn that this guy's a walk-on, but he was a three-star, I believe. I think he was a three-star, and coming out of Bishop Gorman, a high school powerhouse. I don't know what his product productivity was there, but he has played high-level football because it doesn't get higher in the high school level as far as going to Bishop Gorman. Oh, by the way, that's the same school that um, Zachariah Branch went to. Zachariah Branch, who. Uh, uh, you know, everybody's raving about there at USC. Elijah Gilliam came from the same place. Ashton Daniels at Stanford was a surprise start. I watched this game against Hawaii. I didn't know what to make of it. it. I saw enough of quarterback Ashton Daniels, and I know that that Stanford's head coach is the guy who just came from Sacramento State. They've had excellent offensive production. Um, and so that made me want to me that made led me to want to put him on my radar. I didn't rank Ashton Daniels highly at all. I didn't put in any claims for him, but I did rank him. Um, I think you probably had the same or similar approach. Yeah, I am uh, intrigued. And talk about guys from powerhouses. He played at Buford in Georgia. 
was a starter at Buford. I don't know. And he's a, it's a second year player. So, you know, we were in existence when he came out of high school. He wasn't highly ranked at all, but we, I don't remember us ever having a discussion on him uh, at all. So, um, I don't know. I, I liked him. I picked him up a couple places that were like unlimited waiver type situations. Yeah, that's probably the only place where I would pick him up. Buford, by the way, has the number one quarterback in next year's class, Dylan Royola. I think they have like two or three five stars on that team. Um, Justice Haynes, friends of the show, Justice of the show, Justice Haynes, he went to Buford. That's another high school uh, powerhouse. So who are some guys that uh, you added to your rankings here this week, Austin? Yeah, I added a, a quite a few. I'll add a, a decent amount early in, in the season here, and then you know if they if it's a one week flash, I'll I'll delete them out, or if, if they perform well, I'll, I'll keep inching them up. I added Pafeli Ashlock this week, the Hawaii wide receiver, two excellent weeks back to back. I think there's a likelihood that he's a top ten fantasy wide receiver this year. Uh, I bumped him to eighty one. We get another week or two like this out of him, and I'll probably bump him up with my other top CFF guys who are in like the low 40s, high 50s, so uh, or high 40s, low 50s, I guess. Um, so you know the Jamari Thrashes, the Joshua Cephas's, uh, those kinds of guys. Um, Noah Thomas, I think, is an interesting one. He's actually the only player this week that I added to both my Devi and my C2C set of rankings. Um, didn't blow me away as like a route runner for Texas A&M. But no, a bigger wide receiver. He's, he's got to be what, like six six. No, he's. I think. I think he's listed at six four, and that's probably the okay. tall, as tall as he is. He, he mm-hmm. reminds me of like Mingo, Jonathan Mingo, or like that that kind of receiver, like kind of built like that. Um, not an amazing route runner, but a good mover. Had three touchdowns. I mean, hard to ignore that. I uh, put him sixty first for Debbie, eighty eighth for C two C. I did put Burks in my rankings at one twenty eight. I put Lincoln Victor, the Washington State wide receiver, in uh, at one nineteen alongside Eric Brooks, who was actually Fresno's leading wide receiver this weekend. I was pretty uh, impressed with him. And, and by, on Eric Brooks, Eric Brooks is playing the same position that um, – uh, Cropper. What's, no, no, not Cropper. Oh, uh, I the thought little, that's the smaller like. guy from Cal who transferred over there. Nico – Oh, no. um, Regimio or – Nico Remigio. Remigio. Nico Remigio. He's playing that slot position, which was very productive last year. See, I thought he was using more of a cropper because they sent him deep a few times too, and he he was pretty dangerous there. I, I thought he was really, really interesting. I actually would prefer, if I had to pick up one of him or Burks, I think I slightly prefer Brooks at this point. Obviously ranked him about 10 spots higher. Uh, two tight ends. I, I added TCU tight end Jerry Wiley to my rankings. He could end up being a pretty big factor in their offense this year. Uh, probably not an NFL guy. Uh, doesn't look like he's huge, uh, but interesting. And I'm sorry player. I'm interrupting you, but JoJo Earl, biggest wolf. Oh, I ever. I dropped him like 50 biggest spots, wolf. 50 spots. I mean, yeah. I I had I de- JoJo Earl debuted in my rankings when he before he was a freshman at like 12 or something like that. I cannot be more disappointed with uh, JoJo Earl. The TCU 100%. transfer there. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Amari and I black. Fine, I'll add him to my rankings. He had a pretty decent uh, week from a productivity standpoint. I'm still very skeptical on the size, but we'll, we'll add him in there. I put him in tight end 42. And then TJ Finley is the other one uh, who surprised a little bit. I mean, we, we knew it was a possibility, but started for Texas uh, State. Uh, a system that we like, a coach that we like, week conference. They played the toughest game on their schedule already, and they won it against Baylor this weekend, and, and Finley looked pretty effective in that game. So I think... Uh, whatever you thought of Malik Hornsby uh, from a rankings perspective, there's no reason not to think similarly and or better of TJ Finley because we know that Finley has the job, whereas that was always in the back of our minds that Hornsby would not get it. So now we know Finley has a job. I put him at QB 76 along with guys like Byron Brown at USF, who also surprised a little bit getting the job this week. Um, I have some other kind of, you know, quote unquote CFF only guys in that range, but if he has a couple more good weeks, he could bump up to maybe the fifties, uh, as a guy that I think is interesting, uh, in that offense moving forward. Uh, The thing that I love about college football, really uh, it's discovery. It is the new names. All of the guys that we have just listed, Poophili Ashlock, Deion Burks, Elijah Gillum, who doesn't even have a scholarship. I mean, it's, it's those to a certain, I always say I shoot from deep. To a certain extent, we're all shooting from deep because these are, we're all trying to find those diamonds in the rough, and we're all watching these games trying to find guys on the fringes who have a chance to either be productive as college players or potential NFL players. And I'm actually quite proud of our track record there. I mean, we saw 
I mean, I know that these aren't um, deep hits, but we said that the freshman quarterbacks would be good this year. Between Jackson Arnold, Nico Iamalieva, and Dante Moore, they looked fantastic in their first action. Dante Moore should be starting this week. As I said, he should have been starting to, to start the game. Dante Moore is just an excellent football player. Um, but that is the that is the fun part of the game, discovery. Even for a highly touted player like Dante Moore or you know Justice Haynes or Zachariah Branch, Yes, we have these expectations for them, but we had expectations for Adam Randall and JoJo Earl and a guy Hall and, you know, all of these guys. So, so when they come out of the box and we see them really even succeeding or failing, it's all gives me a huge, huge dopamine hit when we get to see these stories play out one chapter at a time from week to week. So, all right. I think that that's it. I think that's all we got for today. Uh, it's going to be a live live Saturday uh, this week. Of course, the NFL starts tomorrow. Uh, Louisville plays tomorrow. They should be able to run over. I think they play Oh, they play Murray State. They play Murray State. It's an in-state uh, game. They'll be able to run over them, so that'll be going on during the Chiefs and Lions. And then this Saturday, Colorado's on the, on the schedule playing Nebraska at home. And, of course, Alabama and Texas. It's going to be a good Saturday. Join us for the tailgate at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And of course, again, five-star rate and review. I'll pick one person a month free, everything we have available at campstacan.com. That's going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Curb Herb Street. We ran out of time. We'll get them rescheduled soon. For Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck.